Welcome to the Fight to Follow podcast. My name is Nate Moyer, and I'm here to tell you that we are in this fight together. You are not alone, you are not forgotten, and you are most definitely not fighting by yourself. It's important to remember that the fight to follow Jesus is a fight that is best fought together. Throughout this life, we are many times faced with circumstances and events beyond our control that would break even the best of us. But that doesn't have to be the case. While the popular saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, may be somewhat true, many times what doesn't kill you actually leaves you injured, which leads to feeling isolated, bitter, depressed, angry, and many other things. You see, when life knocks you down, as it sometimes will, it's important to have a team around you that will lift you back up, dust you off, and continue to fight with you. And that's what this podcast is all about. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Fight to Follow podcast. It's been almost two months since my last episode, and I'll be honest with you, because I can be honest with you, right? I've been struggling. I've been struggling with a lot of things, but specifically with what God has called me to do. This podcast, even in its infancy stages, has been really good therapy for me because it's pushed me out of my comfort zone to try something new. But it's also challenged me to continue studying the word of God and breaking it down in a way that can be communicated in a relevant way for the days that we're living in. I have found that the enemy is very real and he specifically targets believers in ways that he doesn't with non-believers. One of the ways that he attacks us is through discouragement. If he can discourage you, He can many times pull you away from the very things that will strengthen you and comfort you. Whether you're discouraged about your place in life, your accomplishments as a parent or as a spouse, or even the state of our world and everything that's going on, those discouragements can take root in your life and pull you off the course that God has mapped out for you. The other way that he can attack us is much more subtle. It's through distraction. Because he knows that when we're distracted, we become neglectful. We neglect the things like our marriages and our kids, our prayer time and our our time spent reading the word, even our own personal health. We very often will neglect the things that we should care about the most. And I believe that right now, many Christians are distracted and they've fallen for this tactic of the enemy. They are focused on the things that are not necessarily bad, but they're temporary, they're not eternal. Things like possessions and careers, relationships and social networking and even politics and the things that this world holds with high regard. Many of us right now are more concerned with our quote unquote right to wear a mask or not wear a mask than we are with the people behind the masks. We find ourselves attacking people for their beliefs and their worldviews and we quickly forget that the Bible tells us clearly that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Your fight is not with the Democrat or the Republican down the street. It's not with the guy in the grocery store that yells at you because you're not wearing your mask correctly. It's not with the president or with the guy who's running against him. It's not with the conspiracy theorists or the social justice warriors. As hard as it may be for you to believe, Christ died for them too, and he loves them no less than he loves us. We all will face God, for the decisions that we have made in our lives, and God will hold us each accountable for them. Our fight is with an enemy that cannot be seen with human eyes. He's a very real enemy, 
and he's well at work, not just within our country, but within our churches as well. We need to go back to the basics. We need to focus on what really matters. We need to come together as believers in Jesus, not believers in a specific political party or social movement. Jesus is the banner that we gather under. As long as we stay distracted on the things that truly don't matter in the end, the enemy has us right where he wants us, fighting battles that don't really matter. Lately, I've found myself both discouraged and distracted. Discouraged by my thoughts of inadequacy, discouraged by my thoughts of just giving up, discouraged by my own shortcomings. But I've also been distracted. I found myself becoming distracted by social media and work and Netflix and even PS4. And what makes it harder is that none of those things are bad in and of themselves, which makes it easier for me to justify them. I've been both discouraged and distracted by the hate and the vitriol that we see on social media. We have gotten to the point where we simply cannot voice our opinion without being labeled as something. I've found myself being tempted to jump into the comment sections on Facebook and Instagram, only to slowly talk myself off that ledge because sometimes it's just not worth it. At the end of the day, as a believer, the enemy cannot steal your place in heaven, but you best believe he can steal your place on earth. So we must be careful with how we spend our time and what we give our thoughts and our energy to and what battles we choose to fight. Listen, some things will just never be solved in the comments section, and we have to accept that. Now, with all that being said, I think I'm ready to jump into the episode for today. Today's episode is kind of a continuation of episode five, which was called The Fight for Justice. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I encourage you to go back and check it out. In a quick review, we were talking about Habakkuk and his battle with doubt. The book of Habakkuk is basically a conversation between him and God, and is filled with many questions that we wrestle with today. The prophet in this book is wrestling with what he believed and with what he is seeing play out in front of him. He found himself at what is called a crisis of belief, a place where your faith doesn't match up with the facts, a place where what you see with your eyes doesn't match up with what you believe in your heart. He was believing that God was in control, that he loved his people, and that he had great plans in store for them. But he was seeing injustice. He was seeing violence and evil and pure wickedness all around him. And what made it worse was that God didn't seem to notice any of it. And if he did, he definitely wasn't doing anything about it. So he voices his doubts and his complaints to God, and God answers him in chapter 1, verse 5 with this. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Habakkuk was expecting an explanation, but God gave him a revelation instead. God did end up giving him some explanations in the next few verses, but his primary focus was to give Habakkuk a new perspective. When we're struggling with doubt, what we need most is a new perspective of God. Our view of God determines our view of the world around us, and if our view of God is distorted, then our view of what's happening around us will also be distorted. Habakkuk was in that place. God was very clear that he was up to something, but Habakkuk was not at a place where he could fully see it, let alone comprehend it. He was so focused on what was happening around him that he was missing out on what God was trying to do in him. God gave him some insight into what he was doing, and then he gave him the choice to believe him or to continue to doubt him. 
Well, Habakkuk, like many of us, was not satisfied with God's first response. And one can argue that it even created more doubt for him because now he was wrestling with how could God be so inconsistent? How could he choose an evil nation like Babylon to punish his own people who he was supposed to love? Well, this is where we pick up from where we left off in episode five. The second half of chapter two is Habakkuk's response to God's reply. He goes on to complain and beg God to reconsider his plans for the people of Judah. And he mixes in some praise along the way as well. Like in verses 12 to 13, this is what he says. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Like, it sounds like he's mixing in some genuine compliments with some not so genuine and even sarcastic reminders of who God is with the hope that God would change his mind. Almost like our kids do when they know they've screwed up and they're about to get punished. Like, dad, you are such a great dad and you love us so much. I'm so grateful for how hard you work to provide for us. You're not really gonna take my phone away when you work so hard to pay for it, are you? You know, it makes me smile in a way because we fall into this trap all the time. We continue to question God even though he's given us glimpses of what is to come and what he is up to. But that's not good enough for us. We keep pushing. It's also somewhat reassuring to know that we have the freedom to express our frustration while still exercising faith. Like Habakkuk was demonstrating faith by having this conversation with God to begin with. And that's why we know there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief will cause you to walk away from God, but doubt will cause you to wrestle with God. And wrestling with God allows our faith muscles to grow. It takes us to a deeper level in our relationship with him. Now, God responds yet again to Habakkuk, and here's some of what he says. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God goes on to explain the vision that he's referring to, and you can read into that more on your own. But what I find so encouraging here is that God tells him that it will not be delayed. He encourages him to be patient. You know, it's so easy for us to grab a hold of a promise that God has given us but then lose heart because it hasn't come to pass yet. Verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, Romans 8, 28, Philippians 1, 6, they all can cause us to get discouraged if we don't push through with patience and endurance. God has a plan for 2020. This year may seem like a disaster to us, but God saw it coming all along and he has woven it all into his plan for us. Now, God goes on to say, he says, look at the proud, they trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Another version says it like this, the just shall live by faith. What I love about verse four is that God was in many ways reassuring Habakkuk that it was okay that he was expressing his doubts. It actually was a good thing. The fact that he came to God with his questions and doubts spoke more about his faith than anything else. He knew where to run to, and it was also a sign of humility. 
Prideful people have a hard time admitting their doubts, their fears, and their insecurities, which makes it very hard for them to actually live by faith. But that is exactly what God is calling Habakkuk to do. And it's exactly what he's calling us to do. He says that the just shall live by faith. But what does that really mean? How do we live by faith in a world that lives by feelings? Everything we see in our culture points to doing what makes us happy and what makes us feel good. We are taught that our happiness is paramount to everything else. We've turned the focus off of what God values and turned it inwards to what our flesh values. The truth of the matter is that many times I don't feel like following Jesus. I don't even feel like being a dad or a faithful husband sometimes. But that's why this idea of living by anything other than our faith in God is doomed for disaster. To truly live by faith means to focus on the goodness and glory of God. It's not living in denial of the world that is around you. It's living in focus of the God that is within you. God is molding and strengthening and empowering his church to be exactly what the world needs during a time like this. Now, after God's response in chapter two, Habakkuk actually sings a prayer of worship to God in chapter three. How amazing is it that Habakkuk was wrestling with all this doubt, but was somehow able to turn it into worship. He chooses to worship despite the doubt, despite the questions without answers and the fear that was crippling at times. His circumstances had not changed, but he had changed. And now he was walking by faith instead of sight. He was living by promises, not explanations. His perspective was no longer on what was happening around him, but it was on what God had promised him and what was happening within him. Through his worship, he outlines three ways that we can truly live by faith. The first way is to remember what God has done. At the beginning of chapter three, this is what he says. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. It has been said that when we can't see the hand of God, that we must remember the heart of God. One of the ways that we do that is by looking back at all that he has done in the past. His heart is one of love and justice and grace and mercy for his children. He will not leave us stranded or to fend for ourselves. He has always made a way and he will continue to provide a way. The second way that we can live by faith is to accept what God is doing right now. Through the rest of the chapter, we see Habakkuk acknowledging all that God is doing and how he is working. It may not make sense to Habakkuk in the moment, but he chooses to see it for what it is and trust that God is in it as he has promised he is. Many times, it's easy for us to be discouraged by what we see and what we hear, but we must remember that God has promised to work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, there are not too many times where I miss a live Eagles game, but when I do, I always try to record it so that I can watch it later. And when I do that, I also try to avoid any kind of conversations with anyone that has already seen the game in the hopes that they won't ruin the ending for me. But there have been times where inadvertently I either overheard a conversation or I stumbled across the score on my phone. And when I have, I still try to sit down and watch the game anyways, especially when I know that they've won. And no matter how much I try to block out the fact that I know the ending, 
it usually changes the way I view the game. Sometimes even when I know the Eagles win in the end, I can find myself doubting it when I see how bad they're playing in the first half. But as I sit down and I just take it all in and I let the game play out, everything comes together exactly the way it was supposed to and the Eagles come out with the victory in the end. It's the same way with the plans that God has for us. We know the ending to this thing called life, yet sometimes we question whether or not God's plan will actually come to fruition based on what we see in front of us. The challenge is to embrace it for what it is and then witness how God will bring it all together for our good. The third way that we can live by faith is to trust what God will do next. I love what the last few verses of chapter three say. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Now, I realize that fig trees without blossoms and empty fields and barns without cows in them doesn't really translate to us in 2020. But back then, it was the equivalent to a pandemic or a national disaster. Now, if Habakkuk had been living in 2020 and wrote these verses a few months ago, they probably could read something like this. Even though the grocery stores are empty and there's no money in the bank, even though the restaurants are closed and the malls are empty and barren, even though many people have died in the hospitals and the nursing homes and the schools and churches are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I love this mentality. This mentality of even though is a faith mentality. It's an even if mentality. It's, it's the same mentality that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they were standing before the fiery furnace. It's a mentality that says, even though life sucks right now, I will trust in God. Even though I lost my job, I will worship the Lord. Even though I don't know what to believe, I know who to believe. We have the choice to rejoice. To rejoice literally means to jump for joy. And while it may seem unrealistic to jump for joy when you're struggling financially or facing a long-term battle with your health or battling some other type of hardship, James tells us this. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Because faith only grows in the presence of hardship, but it dies in your comfort zone. There's a joy that is found knowing that the hardships we face are strengthening us. The same way that guy at the gym has this weird, creepy grin on his face while grunting and making all kinds of ungodly Hulk noises, he's pushing himself. He's pushing himself to the limit because he knows he's getting stronger. Now, as we venture into the second half of 2020, we must remind ourselves that there is joy to be found in every situation, especially the hard ones. The sovereign Lord truly is our strength. God has the supreme power and authority over everything that happens within his creation. And that fact alone can give us strength to face whatever it is that we're facing.
It may have caught us by surprise, but it didn't catch God by surprise. As we wrap up today's episode, Warren Wearsby summarizes the book of Habakkuk like this. Habakkuk teaches us to face our doubts and our questions honestly and straight on, to take them humbly to the Lord, to wait for his word to teach us, and then worship him no matter how we feel or what we see. God doesn't always change the circumstances, but he can change us to meet those circumstances. And that's what it means to live by faith. I hope that you've been blessed, encouraged, and maybe even challenged by this podcast. If you have, be sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra nice, go ahead, give us a quick review and maybe even show us some love on social media. We would love to have even more people join in on the fight to follow. Right now, we currently can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, along with a few other platforms as well. And lastly, I would like to ask that you continue to support us by simply praying for us. Pray that God would open up doors of opportunity and that we would be obedient and full of faith to follow him. Thank you for listening.